Hi, this is Tony, and before we begin, I wanted to talk about you for a second. So if you are the kind of person who listens to the Social Entrepreneur Podcast, you want to live a life of significance, and you feel compelled to serve a cause that's greater than yourself. You see this need in the world, and you can't unsee it. There's a cause that burns in your heart. So picture this. You have a step-by-step roadmap to launch and grow a business that makes an impact. And you're surrounded by a thriving community of like-minded change makers. What would that make possible? Could you create significant change in the world? Could you do work that matters? Could you help those who can't help themselves? Well, that's why we've launched the Social Entrepreneur Six-Week Quick Start. And we're bringing together aspiring social entrepreneurs for six weeks of live interactive sessions starting on Monday, July 12th, 2021. So this is your opportunity to join a movement, to achieve results faster, to get access to a roadmap to success. But to sign up, you have to go to cultureshift.com and hit the get access button. But hurry, because this course kicks off on Monday, July 12th, 2021, and you don't want to miss it. So take action right now, and I hope to see you there. Now, let's get to this episode. I think I would like people to think about ways in which they could achieve over a long time goals that are really, really important to them, but seem really hard to achieve. And I think often that requires taking little tiny steps day by day and accepting that not everything is going to go exactly how you wanted it to and be perfect, but there are probably some ways of reaching really important goals. Welcome to Social Entrepreneur. My name is Tony Lloyd. I'm a former Fortune 500 executive, but today I spend my time with changemakers who are making an impact in the world. We hear exciting stories of ordinary people just like you who are making a difference. They share their successes, their failures, and what they're learning along the way. Thanks for being with me today. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to Social Entrepreneur and today's guests. Catherine Ventura Connerly and Tom Osborne of the Shamiri Institute. Now, you may remember Tom because he was on episode 50 of Social Entrepreneur, where he was here to talk about a venture he had at that time called Green Char. And so now Tom is working with Catherine on a venture called Shamiri Institute. Now, half of the young people in Kenya have elevated depression and anxiety, and they're going to explain why. And 45% of the disease burden comes from anxiety and depression, and the Shamiri Institute has an answer. What they do is they provide mental health interventions in a simple, stigma-free, scalable, and school-based group intervention. So this is a story of their venture, but it's also the story of a social enterprise startup. So listen to how Tom started with the idea of art therapy to serve Kenyan youth, and then how Catherine had this desire to serve mental health in low-resource countries, how they came together, but then listen to how the idea evolved. They held fast to the goal 
but they let the form be flexible. And the way they did that was they followed the data. They did randomized control trials, and they figured out what works. Now, today we have some extra bonus material for you. First of all, there's a full transcript of the conversation at TonyLoy.com, and we have some more tools. There are several self-assessments that are available to you uh, at cultureshift.com slash assessments. That's cultureshift.com slash assessments. One is called Are You Thriving? And another is called Discover Your Values. I also have a link to the previous conversation with Tom. So let's get to them Here they are, Catherine Ventura Connolly and Tom Osborne of the Shamiri Institute. Hi, I am Catherine Ventura Connolly, and I am the co-founder and scientific director of the Shamiri Institute and a PhD student in clinical psychology. Hi, my name is Tom Osborne. I am the co-founder and executive director at Shamiri Institute. Right. So what in the world is Shamiri Institute? Shamiri means thrive in Kiswahili, which is probably a good thing for you to know first. And we are a data-driven nonprofit organization, and our goal is to develop, test, and then disseminate programs to improve the mental health and well-being of youth, especially in low-resource areas around the world. Yeah. So mental health and well-being. Tom, why mental health and well-being? What's going on with that? Yes, I think mental health and well-being are really important, and especially like in low-income settings like Kenya, where I, I was born and raised. In Kenya and similar countries, we have a really young population, so the median age is about 19, and there's all this evidence that shows a lot of this young population are, are stressed because they have to succeed so early in life, and most of these mental health outcomes are really strongly interconnected with their future you know, career outcomes. So we think mental health is important at this young age because it really determines the life trajectories of many young people. In low-income countries in particular, around the world in, in this crazy time, it's kind of like we're all carrying a lot of trauma in our body, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Catherine, you want to talk a little bit about that disease burden, about what's happening with that? Yeah, so mental illnesses are the leading cause of disability globally. So I think they're really becoming a main focus for a lot of international organizations like the WHO and especially a lot of kids, I think, certainly during COVID, but even before COVID are experiencing mental illnesses and often not just one, they often come in pairs, people will have more than one. And there's really sort of a lack of care available for those mental illnesses in a lot of places and a lot of stigma around seeking care. I think there's a lot of need in this space. I read something that you published that said 45% of disease burden in youth in these low-income countries is based on this depression and anxiety. Yeah, that's right. If half the youth have this elevated depression and anxiety and 45% of the disease burden comes from it, let's just ask the obvious question. You mentioned stigma as one of the reasons that people don't seek help, right? But let's just say somebody can get past that. How easy is it in a low-income country to seek mental health uh, services? That's the other challenge, right? Because even like assuming stigma doesn't exist, we have a really significant lack of expert caregivers. So for example, in Kenya, we have about one mental health clinician for every one million people. 
And even those who can access these treatments, obviously, um, really high cost. It's also really long. And often they're using therapies and treatments which were not built and have not been tested in this population. That's got to be a very busy mental health provider. <laughs> one mental <laughs> yeah. health provider for one million people. <laughs> like, uh, like, I'm not sure when they sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tough situation. What's the problem you're solving? So let me make sure I understand what the problem is. There's this disease burden because of mental health, particularly in low-income countries. There's a lack of providers, and there's this sort of sense of stigma that we all kind of share. But then in a kind of a proud society, there's maybe even a, a greater layer of stigma in order to seek help. So if that's the problem, how do you go about solving the problem? Several, it definitely needs a multifaceted solution. We definitely need to have a lot of different things going on in order to help solve this. But a few things that we have tried include using people to deliver mental health care who are actually not formally trained mental health providers. So we would call them usually lay providers. And in our case, we hire people who seem really talented, able to connect with people well, and who seem to have an understanding of the importance of mental health and well-being, but who are just high school graduates. So their only degree is like a high school diploma most of the time. And we just work with them and train them and get them to the point where with some supervision from an expert, they're able to deliver care. So that's one strategy that we've used. Another strategy that we use um, is also building mental health interventions that are derived from like really simple psychological concepts like about human functioning rather than targeting psychopathology directly. Because I think one way that you can treat depression, for example, by really focusing on the negative, effective part of like the depressive mood. But another way you can do it is by improving people's happiness and interpersonal relationships and their values and just the internal resources uh, in terms of personal life difficulties. And our mental health interventions are derived from this literature that shows that the same Simple psychological concepts like growth and gratitude and values can have equal therapeutic effects sometimes as traditional therapy that directly targets like depression or anxiety symptoms, for example. Yeah. That's an interesting point. One of my heroes in this space is Martin Seligman. So mm. positive psychology, where he's saying, can we just stop treating mental health as a uh, disease and move then instead, he calls it flourishing, I call it thriving. So can we move then? And it's interesting that the name of your organization is Thrive, right? So it sounds to me like you're taking this positive psychology approach then. Is that right? I would say Sort of. I think it's a little bit different because Martin Seligman's positive psychology is definitely also interested in improving, like in reducing symptoms of mental illness, as well as improving flourishing and positive traits. But I think that we have sort of applied these positive concepts and positive types of therapy to trying to primarily reduce symptoms of mental illness and then more secondarily improve flourishing and things like that. And they don't always go together. It can be hard to target both at the same time. So we're, I think we're definitely more focused on the symptoms of mental illness than some other positive psychology researchers that were interested in both. 
Yeah, I guess if you're if you're treating somebody on the Upper West Side of New York, their life circumstances uh, are slightly different than somebody who's living in a low income country. Tom, you started to jump in there. What what did you want to add to that? I'm saying in some cycles a really important distinction. So I think we're using the similar positive psychology concept, uh, but really targeting it towards elevating like mental health symptoms rather than general overall flourishing. So if I am a youth in Kenya or one of the other countries that you serve and I'm experiencing Shamiri Institute, what am I experiencing? Is there an app? Do we have gatherings? How does it work? So we we have a group-based therapy model. And so how young people in Kenya currently interface with our work is we have our lay providers who we call Tri Fellows and they go to schools um, and in these schools they lead these group therapy sessions of between like six to 12 kids and so in these sessions the kids go through this you know protocol that we've developed we give them but that's literally that's just how they interface with, with us by meeting our tri fellows in and we do this for at least one month and we also just track their progress um, across the rest of the school year all right so i have to know how you two got together Right. So, you know, here is one of my heroes, Tom Osborne, you know, episode 50 of Social Entrepreneur. So here he is back again, 300 or so episodes later. And Catherine, I've never met you before. And, and so how did this venture come about? Well, yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting question. So I think I'll just speak until how I met Catherine and then she could pick up from that. So episode 50, I was running Grincha, which... Um, uh, as now evolved, that is called Vuma Biofuels, but it, it was a social enterprise that made clean cooking fuels. And then in 2016, I transitioned out of, of, of Grinchia and I went to Harvard for undergrad. And so in my second year um, at Harvard during undergrad, I took a class on entrepreneurship in the developing world. And in this class, I met this professor who was saying and talking about how you could use art to solve you know, difficult entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial problems. And so I didn't, I didn't actually think that was possible. But then she challenged me to find a way to try it and kind of do it. And at the same time, I had just started studying psychology and I was just becoming a little bit more familiar with the need, uh, you know, for mental health systems, mental health support systems in my home country of Kenya. And so I was like, if this professor is right, I'm going to use art to solve this mental health problem. And so I emailed uh, a professor called John Wise, who was the only professor at Harvard at that time who was developing mental health treatments and he'd lived in Kenya before. And I go to his office and he thinks I'm, I'm mad. He's like, what do you mean you're going to use art to solve mental <laughs> health problem? I think you should talk to a few people in my lab who have been thinking a little bit more about this. And that is how I meet Catherine in, in January 2018, yeah. January of 2018. So January 2018 is like a turning point in your story here. So Catherine, let's have you take it from your side. What were you doing in this lab when when Tom showed up? <laughs> yeah, sure. So I was an undergrad at the time, just like Tom, and I was very, very interested in clinical psychology. I'd worked for a while at some mental health focused nonprofits and really saw that like this is something that I was passionate about in an area where there was a lot of need for better care and better access to care around the world. And so John, when he met with Tom, reached out to me and said, hey, you might be interested in 
working on this with Tom. He seems to want to use art, but <laughs> I wonder if we want to sort of be raising more awareness and, and reducing stigma without having some sort of care that's widely available. So maybe we should be thinking about what sorts of interventions, therapies we could um, develop with him and test in Kenya. And that would be a good first step. So that was how I got in, in touch with Tom and how we started working on designing a therapy, which is now the Shamiri wellness intervention. And then we, we traveled to Kenya together in 2018 and also in 2019. And we've run several randomized controlled trials of it now and found some good evidence that it works. So it's a very short version of our story. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to come back to those randomized control studies that you've done and some of the results that you saw, because they are impressive. It tells me you're on the right track, but I always say there's always a gulf between, and Tom knows this too, because he's been through this before, but there's this gulf between idea and innovation. And then there's this gulf between innovation and impact. To cross that bridge from your idea to your innovation, it takes a lot of empathy work. It takes a lot of time spending time in the space with the problem. Now, I know that, that Tom came from Kenya and that he had lived this experience as a young hustler, you know, uh, coming up with all these great ideas and building businesses and being an entrepreneur and living in, in that set of circumstances. Catherine, had you ever been to a uh, low-income country at that point? Where, what was your familiarity? It's a great question. I actually had never been outside of the United States at that point. I'd basically only gone to visit my grandparents in Alabama. So <laughs> that was kind of the extent of my travel at the time. So yeah, it was a big jump for me. I will say though, I had not a lot of experience, but for an undergrad, about as much experience as I could have had volunteering in spaces and doing research in spaces with folks who were suffering from mental illness and their families. So I was very, very invested in that work more broadly. And I think I felt that I wanted to do work in low-income countries and low-income areas in the United States as well. There's certainly a lack of care in a lot of in a lot of pockets of high income countries as well. How did you two, and I'll let either one of you answer this. How did you two go about doing that empathy work, living a day in the life? Sometimes we go, okay, here's a need, but then we push in on that. We find another need behind that need. And then we push in on that. We find something else back there. And we really get at that, the five wives and the root cause. So how did you go about getting into that space and, and connecting with the people you would serve and understanding their needs? Yeah, I think something that I, I may have said in episode 50, which I think is still really true today, is I think those who are closest to the problem are closest to the solution. And I think experience really informed me that we had to just from day one, just really, you know, privilege getting the input of experts, people from the communities that were actually going to work in. And so I think you know, one thing that I think Catherine and I are really proud of is even though we carry the flag for the team, I think uh, our, our work has only been possible because of a really expert multicultural collaboration with where we've involved high school students in Kenya, mental health experts in Kenya, uh, people like in the education policy space in Kenya, as well as also experts you know, from the U.S. I think from um, day one, that has been really important. I think what you what you say also raises another gulf, which further complicates this. You know, these two gulfs that you mentioned in our case. 
And that's just also the gulf between like research and implementation. And so, for example, controlled and really research focused. But often once you move from that, like a research setting into the real world, there is a gulf between how a program looks like, what it's being researched versus when it's being implemented. And then that also, I think these are things you're also still trying to figure out. How do we also just move now from where we think we have an idea or an innovation that seems to work? And how are we going to be bringing it to these communities, making sure it's impactful and sustainable and still like as close as possible to what we have tested and know actually works? Catherine, do you want to add something to that? Yeah, I'll add that I think one of the really key things that has helped bring us sort of closer to the solution is working with our lay providers in more capacities than you could imagine. I think they are so, so, so helpful. When we first designed the intervention, we had a very like long training with the lay providers during which we asked them for a lot of feedback on the intervention. We'd have them sort of practice it and then tell us parts of it. And when I say intervention, I'm just talking about the therapy to be clear. So we had them practice it and uh, then tell us like what parts seemed awkward or seemed like they might not work or what wording they suggest we change or if they wanted us to add anything new or take anything away from the therapy. And that was hugely helpful because they're all people who just graduated from high school in Kenya. And so they're really, really close to the population that we're working with. And I think now this problem of how do we implement this thing broadly is also something where the lay providers are just so huge because they they help us be able to bring this out to a lot of people. And they also are probably going to take over a lot of the training duties that I used to have when I would go to Kenya. When we're trying to bring this to tens of thousands or billions of people, I cannot be there to train every <laughs> single lay provider. So they're going to have to learn to do the training somewhat themselves. And they seem like they're going to be absolutely fabulous at it. So I think they're a huge part of the solution to these problems. It's always an interesting point in every entrepreneur's journey where they have to go from uh, creating an impact to creating an impact through others, right? It's a different skill yeah. set, <laughs> isn't it? hundred percent. It is. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think it's, it's hard because as an entrepreneur, especially in the, in the early years, you're really embedded to the organization where you really want to be, you know, involved in every single facet. And there is this like process of like letting go which is sometimes really tough and really difficult to have and uh, i think we are just about getting um, closer to that process and uh, i think i honestly am not really looking forward to that because you know i want to be you know involved in everything that we are doing as an organization yeah let me ask you you mentioned rct so let's decode that for somebody what's an rct Absolutely. So RCT stands for randomized controlled trial. And so each of those words sort of describes what it is. So it's randomized in that each participant is randomly assigned by, for example, a random number generator to either the intervention group, which is the therapy that we're interested in testing in this case, or the control group, which is in our case, a sort of attention control therapy, or we tried to make it more useful by making it a study skills control group where kids learn study skills that we don't necessarily think will have as big of effect and of an effect on their mental health, but would still be useful and helpful um, to them in their lives. It's a trial of the therapy versus some sort of control group. And so what did you find? You ran these randomized control uh, tests in the field. And what did you find? Yeah, so we found significant effects of about 
35% reduction for both depression and anxiety symptoms. And we were really, really pleased with that. That was one of our main goals. Another main goal was to see if we could improve academic performance. And we actually found that relative to a study skills group, our intervention significantly improved academic performance. So that was extremely exciting, especially because it was a study skills group that it was being compared to. And we also found significant effects of the therapy for social relationships with peers. So that was fabulous as well. We were glad yeah. to see so that. So say more about that, about social relationships. So like improvements in social support, How, what does that look like? Yeah, so we used a, a questionnaire that asked people about how they perceived their social support. So it wasn't like we were asked, we were actually sort of coding how many friends people have writing down, oh, this person has three friends and this person has two. It was more about like the quality of people's social relationships as they perceive them, which past research has shown is like more connected with people's well-being, um, how they perceive their relationships. Let me ask you this then. How does the business work? So you're a nonprofit, but I heard you saying that you hire these youth-led lay providers, right? These youth lay providers. So how's the money work? Well, that is a really interesting question. And I think that is- <laughs> It's always an interesting about. question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of worry about. I think we, we have this distinction where Catherine- just worries about the science and does it work and then just throws it at me and is like, okay, how do we finance it and take it to the world? Uh, but I think we are a nonprofit for two reasons. One, I think we started initially just really heavily focusing on like research. And I think a lot of that is normally funded through grant funding, but our dissem dissemination work where we're trying to bring the intervention to people, we're trying to do that in a financially sustainable way. And so I think what that means for us is that we have to, we have to one, empower and motivate our lay providers to want to do this. And this means that you're paying them well so that they can want to do this. And then to do that, we kind of have to have a model in which we, you know, segment our market and like charge different schools differently depending on like whether they're a high income school, middle income school or low income school. Yes, I think that's one of the ways we, we, we are trying to achieve financial sustainability is just through like market segmentation and having some sort of like a tiered structure. But we also do raise funding to support our programming. And I think we have been really lucky that so far, you know, we've been able to pay for um, our programming through donor funds. But I think kind of like post COVID, that is not going to be are really possible. And so we're going to really have to work hard on getting schools or parents to begin also paying for this. But our hope is to do this at under $5. So I think it costs us at scale $2 per session to do this. And I think that is going to be way cheaper than the traditional cost of therapy. Yeah. So what's your vision then? Where are you going with this thing? I think we want to build an organization in which like the vision is just the collective of all the aspirations of, of everyone team. And and I also personally, I love vision statements, but I, I also do appreciate that often vision statements are like more as guiding posts and less as the things that you eventually actualize really contribute towards building a society in which young people are able to really actualize their life outcomes and which like mental health uh, and well-being doesn't stand in their way. And I do consider myself to have been really lucky. Uh, a story I normally tell is when I started nursery school, there were 12 of us. Only two of us went to high school, and I was the only one who 
graduated college. And I do consider myself really lucky to, to have done this. But I think the reason why this was possible for me is because I had the support systems and people who were there for me and tools to really navigate through like important transition phases. And I think my vision for the organization is that we can also be able to just provide similar tools to, to other young people trying to navigate in really you know, difficult circumstances. I'll add that this is very aspirational, but at least in my mind, part of the vision is creating something that can be spread to many different countries and many different cultures around the world and actually successfully providing some sort of care and support to ideally millions of youth in a sustainable way. I think there's a real need for some form of mental health support, well-being support that can reach a lot of people for not very much money and that people are comfortable receiving. So I'm really hoping that we can do that. It's very aspirational though. (laughs) That's okay. You have to have an aspiration in here somewhere. You are entrepreneurs and we all know what that means. Like it's crazy. Right to be an entrepreneur, like like the things you have to think about and deal with, and the plates you have to keep spinning, and all that. How are you, as entrepreneurs in a mental health space? How are you practicing self care? Love that question. Sometimes it is hard to do because there is a lot. There is a lot to do, and things pop up all the time that you weren't even expecting to pop up, and then you need to take care of them. But I think for me, like the biggest things are like the very basic things, like sleeping. Like I almost never compromise the amount of sleep I get. I basically always get enough sleep, even if it's hard to do. Exercise is huge for me. Eating three meals a day, like no matter what, even if one of those meals is like two bars that I picked up somewhere, you know, like you just have to take care of these basic needs that you have. I'm also like some sort of social interaction every day with someone who ideally you're not working with, who's like a friend is huge as well too. I think really basic things are the things that for me, I really have to like make sure that I do. Tom, what are you doing? Yeah, I think that's also something I worry about, not on a personal level, but also at an organizational level, right? Because we we also want to create a culture in which um, the people we are working with are also really taking care of, of their mental health. I think for me, the answer has been don't has been like if I'm preaching water, drinking water, and and so in our um, interventions, we ask kids to do things like write a, a gratitude letter, you know, not down things you're grateful for. Once a week, think about your values. So how I how I do it is I just find the protocols that Catherine developed for the students and I do the exercises that are in the protocol. Catherine, you look very pleased. I see this look on your face. You look very pleased that Tom's actually doing the thing. I am. That you're about. It's so funny. I actually didn't realize that he was going back to the protocols and using them, though I knew that he was doing some of the exercises in them. So I, I just, I think that's great. Yeah, I think I also use some of the stuff in the protocols too. After writing them for so long and working with them for so long, they're 
they're like inside me. So I think the biggest thing that I use is probably values. I think a lot when I have problems about like, what are my main values and how will I solve them in alignment with my values and what actions can I take that are in line with my values? Amazing. So I I will tell you that entrepreneurs, we have a particular need for self-care because we are like, you know, I mean, everybody is carrying around all this trauma right now because of what's happening in the world. Now take on top of that, you try to launch a business. And and on top of that, you're not just trying to launch a business, you're trying to launch a business to do social good, right? So layers upon layers upon layers of of things that you're dealing with. So that self-care is really critical. And so if people are looking for the Shamiri Institute, where would they look? I would suggest probably going to our website. And if you just search Shamiri Institute, the website should come up really quickly. That's where you'll find all the links to our other social media. But Tom, you're really the social media expert. So anything to add? <laughs> yes, I think you can follow us. I think our handle is normally at Shamiri team across you know multiple social media sites on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Sign up for a newsletter. We have two newsletters. I think one is just a general newsletter and i also do send uh, a newsletter every three weeks which is kind of a more story-based newsletter but i think anyone can amplify our work you know apart from just um, following us on social media you can share our work with your friends our materials are open source the protocols that we're talking about are, are readily available and anyone in the world can use them and you can also support our work by making a small donation besides connecting with you on social media signing up for your newsletter making a donation anything else you want to leave us with a call to action what's something you'd love to see people go and do as a result of this conversation i think one thing that comes to mind for me is that when we were starting to do this, especially when we were starting to run an RCT as undergraduates, it seemed sort of like impossible, like it was just too big of a thing for us to do at our age. But I think I think I would like people to think about ways in which they could achieve over a long time goals that are really, really important to them, but seem really hard to achieve. And I think often that requires taking little tiny steps day by day and accepting that not everything is going to go exactly how you wanted it to and be perfect, but there are probably some ways of reaching really important goals that you have over a long time with lots of effort and lots of setbacks. (laughs) If you really want, if you really want to, and you're willing to ask for help and put a lot of time in and make your goals a little bit flexible. So that's something I'd like people to come away with that kind of knowledge that they can do things that seem really hard over a long time if they're flexible in their goals. Yeah. Um, I, I will leave people with that it's something even more simpler. I think as Tony has mentioned, we kind of all right now living with this kind of collective, almost universal trauma, uh, ways of interacting with the world has really drastically changed. But one thing that inspires our work and that we've shown is simple things can really improve your mental health, how you're feeling, how you're doing, etc. And so I think if there's one thing that people can leave this conversation with, it's that just small things like gratitude journaling, like thinking about your values, like problem solving, which are accessible, which you don't need to pay a specialist to, to, to access, which you can find on, online, can actually have a small but over time really transformative impact in and how people like are interacting with the world. So I think my last word is like, it's all about self-care. Just do it here. 
Yeah, just do it. Well, there you go. You should coin that phrase. Just do it. So. <laughs> I, think I think it might be copyrighted. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Catherine and Tom, listen, thanks so much for being with us on Social Entrepreneur. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. And thanks to you, the listener, for joining us today. You are the reason that we produce Social Entrepreneur. You can find the show notes, bonus material, and more at TonyLloyd.com. That's T-O-N-Y-L-O-Y-D.com. Well, listen, thanks so much for joining me today. And until next time, please remember to use this one short, amazing life and go make an impact. Thanks. We'll talk to you next time on Social Entrepreneur.